parse the spirit, great. And then the other one, I didn't, um, I'll show you my other one too. It's in my purse. This one is the Triumphant Church by Kenneth Hagin, has a, has a body, soul, and spirit part of it. So I'm going to be actually using that to teach. All you people sitting at tables back there, I'm going to let y'all do it. But this, you know what happens when y'all sit at tables? Y'all want to know what happens when y'all sit at the tables at the back? You know what happens? What happens when you sit at tables at the back? Because I'm a speaker and I'm talking. When, when I see a person at the back of the room, I have this overwhelming compulsion to fill the room with that much energy. What happens is I've got a class up here and I've got stragglers at the back. But what I have to do is I have to talk to the lame brains in the back and the people in the front get abused. So, I'll just say that. That's what's happening all the time. Just letting you know how I really feel. But you sit wherever you want to. Y'all are adults. But if, but I will call you out because I'm an adult too. <laughs> that's it. That's that's it. That's it. Anyway, that's how we get on today. But we're going to get started. I've got a lot of territory to cover. I believe y'all have got prayer requests and praise reports, but the Lord knows them all. So we're just going to omit that part and let his omniscience take care of it. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we are so grateful to be, God, on the earth at this time and to have the opportunity to see the full measure of the glory of the work of the cross accomplished in our life. God, we thank you for every struggle. We thank you for every battle. We thank you, God, because without them, we would not actually know victory. And we know that no matter what happens in our life, you are able to keep us from stumbling. And Lord, we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go to Isaiah 40 today, and I just want to read um, Isaiah 40, and I'm going to start reading in 27, and I, I, we're going to talk about, we're still talking about body, soul, and spirit, but I'll hit things at all different angles and tie it in, but the title of today's lesson is Change of Strength, Change of Strength. Now, Isaiah 40 and 27 says this, why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? Who, who are we talking to? Who is the prophet Isaiah speaking to? It's not a trick question. Isaiah 40 and 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel? He's talking to Israel. Jacob is an alternate name for the nation of Israel. When he says, Jacob's been dead for Ever, for forever when this was written. You know what I mean? Jacob's dead and gone. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel whose name was changed to Israel. So whenever it says, oh, Jacob, what it's saying, it's just another way of saying Israel. It's just, it's just the way. So we, we're not, Jacob's not obviously actually in the room because the timeline forbids it. Why do you say, oh, Jacob, and assert, oh, Israel? Common biblical 
writing style is parallelism. Do you see the parallelism? Jacob is one way to say it. Israel is another. It creates a parallel. It's creative and it makes your mind start moving in who we're talking to. My, why do you say this? My way is hidden from Adonai and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God. So he's, he's asking them, why are you saying this? There's no justice with God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Adonai is the eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable, past finding out. So what he's saying here, Israel in this time in history, they are saying there is no justice. There is no justice. I mean, has there ever been a time in history where the cry from the streets around the world is, there is no justice? One racial group says there is no justice. Another says there is no justice. One, one orientation says there is no justice. And another says there is no justice. And the cry goes out, there is no justice. See, this is not, Solomon said it right. There's no new thing under the sun. We may move along in the timeline. Our technology may advance. The way we disseminate information may advance. And it has. But the same problems always exist and persist. There is no justice. I mean, how many times have you talked to a person who did not want to worship or serve God because of some suffering that happened in their family or in their life? All that is is an alternate way to say there is no justice. And yet we think as the finite, small infinitesimal how many other ways can I say small I mean how many times have we in our teeny weeny little perspective shook our fist at God and said it's not fair when we wouldn't know fair if it curled up in our lap and kissed us on the cheek because we are people of tragic, gross injustice. What do I mean by that? We always tend to favor ourselves over another. We always tend to use unjust balances. We always tend to judge others by their actions and ourselves by what we meant. You will give yourself a pass long before you give another. And so for us, the very epicenter of injustice and misconstrued judgment to offer to God what we perceive is fair and right 
when we do not have the vantage point, it's like the speck of sand instructing the eagle. It's like the novel giving instructions to its author. It's like the lump of clay telling the potter what needs to happen. It's like your child naming itself and not you. Oh, we've seen that carried out. But see, that's where this mindset leads to utter and total absurdity. Absurdity that masquerades as righteousness and justice and fairness being disseminated from the very courts that rule our land and the lands of others as we stomp and we beat our chest and we scratch the ground and we crow in pride and arrogance, unbelievably so before the God of all justice while we slap our hand down on the table and demand that God treat us fairly. If he were to pull the covers back and show you the diabolical, dark, evil, selfish places in your own heart, you would be repulsed at yourself. The heart above all is evil, Jeremiah said. Who can know it? I, desperately wicked, God said, I search the hearts. So when we have here, have we changed from Israel so much? But it's better. Let's look. God had an answer. See, that was never, that was never his intent to have a people who could not know him. Never to have a people who strove, strove, strived. I don't know if that's a word. Who strived, it sounds better to me, after the things of God, yet come up short. When Paul said the very phrase, he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews circumcised of the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin of he said all these things of Pharisee he said as touching the law what did he say he was blameless good he didn't say he was innocent did he he didn't say he was sinless did he he said blameless and if you understand what he was saying there when he said blameless he said i have made all the ne- i had made all the necessary legal sacrifices to remove blame from myself now all of a sudden when i say that If you're astute, that should bring in the clarity of the sacrificial system. That it did not mean that you were now, it did not convert sin into unsin. It converted your sin into blamelessness. That God would not hold it to your charge. But a just God in full justice cannot take sin and just brush it under the rug and never deal with it. All he did in the old covenant to make people blameless was push it forward another year to the next day of atonement. It accrued and it accrued 
It gathered up from day of atonement to day of atonement to day of atonement until like a giant bulldozer pushing it through the ages, just pushing and pushing and pushing until the mountain of sin from the very first sin of Adam and Eve all the way through every single sin that was ever committed by any human being, even ones that had not been under the law. Every single sin, past, present, and future, had actually the bulldozer came from the future that I was in and the bulldozer came from the past and it all came together and culminated on a day on Calvary's heel and every bit of the sin of all humanity was deposited on the son of God and he got justice has he paid because, see, here's how it works, and you'll understand this. Let's say you have a child that you love dearly. I think we can all get that, right? And let's say that that child is cruelly mistreated or murdered. And you take it to the court, and the court has a, a very, very merciful judge. And he listens to all the particulars of the case. And it was grease. It was gross injustice towards your child. It was negligence in every possible way. And the judge stands up on the day of the verdict and he says, as a grandfatherly type, a Santa Claus that we like to make God out to be, he stands up on that judge, in that, on that seat, the bench of justice, and says, you know, guys, I know what's been done was a very terrible thing. But one terrible thing won't fix one terrible thing. So today, I'm just going to let the man who perpetrated the injustice against your child go free in an act of mercy. How many of y'all are cool with that? You say, remove that judge from the bench. It's his job to render justice to the guilty. And that's what God did on the cross. Justice demanded a punishment. And Jesus willingly received the full punishment of sin so that I and you could live free from sin. Not free to participate in sin, for that would be the same as someone having received the punishment and then going out and thinking that it paid for it. That person who thinks they can go out and willfully engage in sin, do you realize that even under the law, there was no such thing as a sacrifice for willful sin? And for us to believe that grace somehow deforms sin into something that is righteous, 
And we can now, under the heading of this new hyper grace, we can scoot homosexuality under it. We can scoot, oh, why don't we just scoot beastomy under it too? How about pedophilia? That'll be great. Why not? Why not? Because that's not how God deals with sin. But he does deal with sin. He changes our strength. He changes us from the inside. And then we change from the inside out. He changes the center of our strength by, as Peter says in 2 Peter 1 and 5, by investing in us his very, anybody know? Nature. His very nature. I wonder how much of us live our lives knowing that God has implanted his nature inside of us. How many of us live on a daily basis nurturing that nature? Or do we live nurturing sin? So see... Here we come. We're going to need a change of strength. So here, let's move on. So when on the terms of justice, God, in the most beautiful way possible, in the way he asked Job, when Job had questions about the justice thing, God said, where were you when I formed the earth? Did I counsel you? Does God owe us any explanations? But isn't it marvelous that he condescends to men of low estate? Isn't it marvelous that he invites our questions? Isn't it marvelous that he desires to have a personal relationship with every single individual? Isn't it amazing that we, in our deformed state of sin and degradation, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is the right and the power to use that mercy. Grace is not the power for you to transform sin into something that's righteous. Grace doesn't transform sin. Grace transforms the sinner. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Let's look here. 
Have you not known? Have you not heard? Adonai, the eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he does not grow tired or weary. Even in the midst of all of the unrighteousness, even in the midst of all the injustice, even in the, I've often wondered, God, how do you see so much abuse going on in the world? How do you take it? He does not grow tired or weary. He doesn't have a bad day. He doesn't, he's, he doesn't get up on the wrong side of the bed. He's not capricious. Do you all know what that means? He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't have drastic mood shifts. He doesn't handle people in a slight way. See, that was the thing of all the near, in the Near East and all the other religions, they all served a God who they viewed, who was described as being capricious. In other words, you could just set him off. And you always had to offer the right sacrifice to keep the God happy so we didn't get mad. It's not, that's exactly how all idolatrous religions are based in because they're all based in demonic power. It all comes from the same headship of Satan working through all the demonic powers of darkness. If you go to the Chinese restaurant today, you will see Buddha setting up on the cash register. And you will see an offering in front of Buddha. Coins and fruit, right? And if you were to reach over and touch the lips of that Buddha, they would be sticky. You know why? No. Because they take their finger and they rub it in honey and they rub the lips of the Buddha. So when the spirit... See, they don't believe, they don't believe that that Buddha has a spirit like it is a living thing. They dedicate that statue to the demonic gods, though they don't think they're demonic. They dedicate that statue and it becomes a channel, a channel for the demonic. And so the eyes of that Buddha, they're believed that the, de- that the power comes and looks through that eyes. And the, and the lips of the Buddha, that the power comes and actually that's the mouth of that Buddha. And so whenever they put the honey on the lips, it's so when that power comes forth and it goes back to report, it has a sweet report. It comes and it sees the offering, the sacrifice. So see, the whole mentality is let's keep our God happy by offering sacrifice that keeps him happy. See, that's how duty-driven religion functions even in the mainstream houses of worship today. Is that not true? Let's go to church to keep God happy because I don't want something bad to happen. The Catholics are warped. Yeah, the Catholics during the, I don't know, around, around the 1100s, the Catholics developed this system called indulgences. Indulgences where the Catholic priest could, um, a person, say, you wanted to come and you were you wanted to have you wanted to murder someone because he was your sworn enemy. I don't know if there'd be a good indulgence for murder. You'd have to pay a lot of money for that one. But let's just say you wanted to do something like cheat in your business. You might could afford that indulgence. Yeah, or something, some sin. And so you could go to the priest 
and purchase that sin, so to speak. Now, it would be framed, it would be framed much differently. It would be framed much differently. Because of your, the indulgence of your flesh, you weren't going to be able to control it anyway. So you might as well enrich the church as I bless you and send you out <clears throat> to go ahead and do it. This is still a mentality. Yeah, so there it is. So I, I had, my middle daughter had a friend in high school because there was a, there was a German community nearby us that was very predominantly Catholic. And so Hannah spent a lot of time with her friend, and she went to her friend's grandmother's house, and she was a very devout Catholic. And Hannah said she was always going and working in the church, which is fine to work in the church, but it's her reason. See, it's your heart. She's always going and working in the church, and she was always going and lighting candles. She was always paying. She was always, like, always running to the church because she had a son who, while he was a teenager, died in a drunk driving accident. And she believed he was in purgatory. So she was spending her life trying to pay enough money and do enough service and be the, and light enough candles and pray enough prayers to get her son out of purgatory. And but see you can see how what a great fundraising strategy that is. Right. But you're saying, well then why do we give in the church? The Bible says you give in the church 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, or is it 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? It's one. Y'all can look it up for me because I'm terrible with numbers, but I'm great with words. It says that all grace may abound to you so that you, having all sufficiency in all things, always may abound for every good work. You know, how many of y'all love that scripture? Like, that's a checkmarked scripture. I love it. You know what it's attached to? You're giving. For the Lord loves a What does cheerful mean? Some goof pot that's going ha 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 ha. No, cheer cheerfully means a person who's not giving out of compulsion. You don't give because there's a law to do so. You give because there's a higher law called desire. Yeah, if you don't want to give, don't give. But that's going to be a problem. I want to know why. I don't want to know why you don't give. I want to know why you don't want to give. See, I want you to take your temperature according to your desires. I want to know why you desire to sin, but you don't desire righteousness. Could it be the nature of God's not really working in you? Could it be that all you've got is a knowledge of the gospel, but it hadn't actually dropped to the place of the heart where you have a true conversion that you don't have to convince anybody of you don't have to you go running around with your same old people and they are repulsed by you repulsed by you because you've changed and you're not the same I wanted to say something, but I was, I was editing. Y'all know I'm editing. You're not the same person you used to be. 
and we like the other version better. Because we are darkness, and we liked your darkness, but now that you're light, we don't like your light. So if you are still very comfortable in your same old friend group, warning, 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 warning. Take your temperature. Check your nature. Because when you truly get saved, you're like, well, I never sin again. No, here's the reality. When you truly get born again, you will be ruined to be the kind of sinner you once were. And if you're not ruined to be the kind of sinner you once were, then you ain't. If you is what you was, you ain't. I'm not saying that you may not, that you're going to have sinless perfection. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that what you're hungering for is an indication of the nature that's alive in you. Or the one that's not. And I'm not being mean. I would rather, I would rather you have this information from the get-go instead of you trying to drag along doing something by some sort of a formulaic rule that always feels like it's grating against you. And you're trying to perform and you're trying to please others and convince yourself and others that you have had a nature change. And you have it. When your nature changes, you don't have to convince anybody. So here we are. Here we are. He gives strength. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows how to get the job done. He gives strength to the weary. And to the one without vigor, he adds might. Okay, we're fixing to go there. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But they who wait upon Adonai will renew their strength. They will soar up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now, let's see. The Bible is meditative literature. If you don't learn to meditate on the Bible, you will never understand it. You won't. So here in this meditative portion of literature, what we see is he starts out by saying he gives strength to the weary, he gives vigor, he gives, and one without vigor, he adds vigor. Vigor means life. He adds might. So he gives strength to the weary. We have weary and those who don't have life. He's going to give strength to the weary. Who's weary at this point in the conversation? Israel. He's still talking to Israel. So if Israel, who is the covenant people, are the weary, who's weary by default? Every single person. Everyone's weary. He's talking about the human condition. 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 Weary. Who has no vigor? Vigor's another word for life. Who has no life? If Israel has no life... Who, by default, has no life? No one. That's a big problem. So we have a huge 
insurmountable problem. But then the prophet turns, as is often the way in the word of God. And then we see here, he goes to society because he knows somebody's going to argue about might and vigor. So what he, t- he picks up the narrative and he s- talks about young men and youth. He, the one, youth grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. Okay, let's think about that. Why does he choose youth and young men? They are the apex of any, whether it was in that day or this day. Young men, youth are are the lower. We're going to move to the higher. We're going to move from lower to higher. Youth are full of energy, right? The younger you are, the more energy you have. How many of you remember a time when you had more energy? Probably everyone other than this little girl right over here. She hasn't had this experience yet, but she will. So every youth has tons of energy. And every young man who is healthy, and a normal young man, has what? Strength. They are the strength of any society are the young men. No one, you know, they're just, they're the strongest. Because they're at the height of their physical being. Right? I mean, I don't care. I think that... You know, a woman can do anything a man can do, but generally not beat them at arm wrestling. Some women can, but not if you match, if you match health for health, the man's going to win. That's why transgender in women's sports is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Every women's little person should be jumping up and down and screaming, but they're not because they're all blinded. They somehow think that that's a liberation to women to let a man swim alongside a woman. He couldn't perform in his sport with his own competitors so he moved over and began to compete with women of course he won he's a man check his genitalia how did they check what did they check When they told you your baby was a boy or a girl, did they ask them how they felt? (sighs) I just, no, I'm not even going to go there, Renee. I don't have time. No, we don't have time for that. Okay, come to prayer meeting. You'll find out all. Okay, he gives strength to the weary. His un- he, youth grow tired. Young men stumble and fall. But, now we turn, we turn. Do you see this? But they who wait for Adonai. Who's the waiters in this scenario? First, who's the first waiter? Israel. Israel. What are they waiting on at this point in history? Ding, 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 ding. 
They're waiting on the fullness of the covenant. They're waiting on all the promises that God has made, which they seem to be coming short. They're strong, but they're not strong enough. They're young, but they're not young enough. They're good, but they're not good enough. They're blessed, but they're not blessed enough. And that's the point, is to bring them to the end of their system. A good system that God made. But it was a system that was not designed to give life. It was a stopgap system. And it had two purposes. For God to deal with them as a covenant people. Because he's righteous, so he put obedient standards in place where they could operate by faith in the Christ who was to come. And that's what they're waiting on. The fullness. They're waiting on the fullness of the covenant to where... Their strength is somehow changed. Their vigor is somehow changed. Their righteousness is somehow changed. Their understanding is somehow changed. Their heart. Has somehow changed. Because they love their system. So they drove themselves into their system instead of letting their system drive them to Christ, which is what the law was to be a stopgap and to create a container whereby God could deal with humanity during a time. And then it was also created to be a schoolmaster who taught them how weak they were. How, right, how unrighteous they were by showing them what was righteous. It was meant to be a schoolmaster who put mark after mark after mark on the board as that class monitor that you all hated. Drinking in class. You know. So that all, by the time the teacher got there, the chalkboard was filled with marks in every place so that no green could be seen, only white marks. Demerit, 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 demerit. Bringing the worshiper to the place to where they said, Oh God, is there anyone to help my deformity? Yes. Yes, there is. Come, come right through this way. The schoolmaster, the pedagogue, the instructor leads them to the door. It's a very, 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 very small door. It's right at the foot of this cross. 
It'll open. But you will only be able to fit through your faith. In the work that's done on the cross. It's going to be a, it comes at a cost. Has no one told you about the cost? Oh, we, the cost is great. The cost is your life. You know your rights, your brand of justice, your entitlement, your opinions, your supposed grandiose knowledge of how things are and how they ought to be, your American flag, your patriot, all the things. Oh, it goes deeper than that, y'all. He said, unless you hate father, mother, sister, brother, you're not worthy of me. Wait, 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 wait. We can't hate people. See, it's using hyperbolic language to show you the utter and total exacting fullness of the cost. It takes the most precious relationships you have, those you're biologically program to love and it says you have to choose me over them why that's that's cruel that's cruel no because remember on the other side of the cross because remember the demerits do you remember the unrighteousness you found don't you remember what the law brought you to the law brought you to the utter despise of your life would you think do you think in that brand of life that you could actually love your mother and father and sister and brother and children even? Oh, no, your brand of love is insufficient. You'll always choose yourself over them. I have seen so-called lovers of their children give them up to drugs day in and day out. I've seen so-called lovers of their children go to work and work all week and then spend all of their money on booze and women and leave their children with nothing. I call, I've seen so-called lovers of their families choose everything about their comfort over their children time and time and time again. Don't tell me about the esteem of parenthood who are those people who are under the deformed system of human effort. That needs a change of strength. Those who are willing to lay their life down and go through the very small hole of the cross will find on the other side the nature of Christ formed in them in such a way that they can love their mother and father and sister and brother in the true love of Christ, which is the agape, preferential love. Do you know that that's what agape is? Is preferential love? You know when he said, esteeming others as better than yourself? You will never, ever, ever be able to do that. You might get it sort of quasi-right ever now and then. But until you have actually have the love of God, the agape of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit, you're never going to be able to love in a way that prefers another over yourself. 
don't have the capacity. That's what the law showed us. Let's keep going. Even youth grow tired and weary. And young men, your best efforts are going to come up short. But they who wait, they're waiting on the Messiah because we got to have a right. we got to have a real fix for this, not just a stopgap. We'll renew their change. That word there is change their strength. Change it out. Human strength for another kind of strength. I'm, wait, what, let's see what this strength. How do we know this is, a, this is a, some sort of a supernatural strength? Well, let's, let's read on and let's see. Um, they will soar on wings as eagles. They will run and never get tired. They will walk and never faint. Is that possible from a human standpoint? So that's the point. That's the point. When we meditate this out, that's the point we're supposed to come up with. There's a new strength coming that's going to be a supernatural strength. Habakkuk, Zechariah, is that right? Four and six, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Oh, my gosh, you mean to tell me he has, the cross has brought about a system whereby I contain the power of God? See, we are still preaching a gospel that says we're still waiting in the upper room. We're still waiting on the Messiah. The wait is over. The wait is over. You're still going through drudgery of religious performance, coming up dry, and you're still going, I'm just so tired. I'm just so tired. Then change your strength. Change your strength to that of something that's of supernatural, spirit-empowered strength. Joel 3.10 says, Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into um, Daggers or something like that. Swords and spears. Spears, that's it. Let the weakling say, what? I am strong. It's like this. I would get down on my knees, but I've got white pants on. I want to so bad. I keep reminding myself, you can't do that. Falling down in our midst of our weakness. And, And then... Yeah, it's like a song. We sing songs about it from sun up to sundown and still walk out in our own strength. I don't want to just sing a song. I want a people who go, Andrea, I feel as strong as you're talking about. I got what you're talking about. I could run through a troop and leap over a wall. I feel something that deposited on the inside of me that's bigger than the human I am. I feel like I could soar. I feel like I could run for a thousand years and not get tired. If you have not experienced that type of supernatural power, I am so sorry you haven't heard the gospel. Oh, but Andrew, I don't want to look like you. You could only hope to look like me. 
I want you willing to be a fool for Christ. If you got to roll around, and that's why so much of the manifestations of the Spirit get people so up in some kafuddle. <clears throat> Isn't that a fun word? Yeah, because they know. You'll look like a fool. You are a fool if you think you can do this on your own strength. Go back to the salt mine, friend. Clock in under your taskmaster, Satan, and live there for another minute or two and let him beat you out into submission. <clears throat> Release such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. Go ahead. Live on the chain gang. Check it out. Put the shackles on. Grab the, the pickaxe and go after the rocks of who cares anyway. There ain't no good chain gang, is there? You see? Back to the chain gang with you. You still got a little too much strength. You're not willing to die yet. That's how I like to give it to people. They tell me all their... And I go... I say... If you just die, keep walking that. We need to change the strength. And this is where we come to, is that we have got to be operating, not from the strength of our soul. What's the strength of your soul? Who wants to, give a, who wants to hit an attempt at that? Strength of your soul. What's the strength of your soul? The strength of your soul. That's it. Because what is in the arena of your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it comes, there's more to it than that. <clears throat> it's where your personality dwells. It's where... You know, your, your choices are made. That's in the wheel. I mean, if, if we could just get people, just this one little thing. If I could just convince people that their feelings are unreliable guides. Yeah. You know, that their feelings are not reliable guides. And if they all, see, they, they have a little, the Bible says be angry and yet do not sin. So how many of y'all know that anger is a natural emotion? How many of y'all, it's, it's more natural to you than some others? You see, that, that comes with your personality, doesn't it? Now, <clears throat> see, in my personality, I'm a person, I don't know if y'all know this, I'm wound tight. I feel like stuff in my stomach more than other people do sometimes. You know what I mean? I'm like, my, Mike always says, you idle high. I do. I mean, I know that about myself. It's okay. It's okay. It's who I am. It's good. But under the hand of God, it's great. You see what I'm saying? And so Mike, on the other hand, my husband, it's a good thing he put us together like that, right? Could you imagine if we were two of the same? But he, he, he idles low. Like, I mean, he is like, he just, he barely, he just one, he's like a reptilian. You know, cold-blooded. 
it's how he is. It's how he is. And I'll tell him, something will make me mad, and I'll say, <clears throat> I'll say, how does that not make you mad? He'll go, I'm trying to get mad. <clears throat> <laughs> He'll be like, it's just not there. <laughs> I don't know. Are there some other people in here that way? You, you, oh, your wife is that you know what I'm talking about? You just are, you're just, it's just like things just don't, you don't spark easily. You know what I mean? Jacob called Mike a noble gas. A noble gas. On the periodic table, a noble gas will mix with any other gas, no matter how um, unstable it is, and it will neutralize it. It's a noble gas. And, and he said, Mom, you're like sodium. I went, what do you mean? He said, he said you'll react with everybody. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you saw, maybe it's it too. I'm sorry. So that's the way, you know what I mean? So we have different personalities in that. The Bible says, be, excuse me, be angry, but yet do not sin. So if you have, so for Mike to be angry, sometimes it's like you got to poke him to say, come on, live, engage. You know what I mean? Not every, he's so phlegmatic that he can just, you know, that can be a problem. That can be a detriment too, right? In your flesh, that things just pass by and you're like, oh, well, oh, well, right? How many know what I'm talking about? And you just sort of let people go and you can just find a way to settle back into a comfortable little, you know, homeostasis. You're like, oh, well, oh, well, but we're me. I have the opposite problem. Like when we, Mike and I were coming, Mike and I were coming, we were driving on a two-lane road and we were coming up a hill and another car was passing another car on a hill. They didn't have sight line and we're the car coming up. Bunch of morons and we have to completely drive off of the road last minute to avoid a head-on collision. I, in that situation, was angry. And Mike was trying to keep me from sinning not. Because I said, turn around. Turn around and chase them. And he knew. He, he knows how to handle me. So he turned, but it's too slow. I mean, I wanted to turn. I wanted to run those morons off the road. I wanted to, like, dukes of hazard it. You know what I mean? Like, pull my car in front of them and get out and stand in front of a movie. I mean, that's how I feel. You know, it's like all of a sudden you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And he said, and he, he was too slow. And he went, oh, they got away. I said, you drove slow on purpose. <laughs> he gave me just a little while. And then he said, what were you going to do if you caught him? I said, I was going to give them a good talking to. They were going to have a come to Jesus meeting. Right? But see, he's, he's, like, he's not that way. But so, so angry and sin not. So, you can, so some of the phlegmatics in here, you need to learn how to actually ignite. And some of the cholerics, the, you, need to, you need to learn how to. Because you, the phlegmatics may sin not in the fact that they never actually even get riled up where they need to and make a change. And the cholerics may get too riled up too fast and just kill everybody. And that's a problem too, right? So when it talks about, see there it says be angry and yet do not sin. It's talking about how you deal, how you engage with the emotion of anger. So see that's in your soul. 
You need a change of strength. So if you have a change of strength, see, many of you probably know what it is to be driven by the strength of anger. Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. And how did that go for you in the end? Did it equal righteousness? It felt good in the moment, but it felt bad in the app. Didn't it fall back? It, it, I know. I know you are, but a lot of people do say that it felt good, but it... it it scratched an itch for just how many of you were super remorseful after you took that path? How many of you were ashamed of yourself? How many of you felt like a dirty, rotten dog? How many of you swore up and down, I'll never do it again? How many of you did it again? Okay, so we're good. Okay. I can't believe y'all. Yeah. So what we need there is a change of strength. See, you need a prince on your horse instead of a servant riding your horse. See, your emotions are a servant. They're not qualified to lead. So if you can just get a change of strength and get a new governor in the house, when, the, when you need to get angry, for some of you who need to get angry sometimes, and you need to make a change, you'll learn. That governor will help you learn how to do that. And some of the others who you need to understand, understand, <laughs> understand how to simmer down and not respond. But don't you see how that key, with that one governor, no matter what personality we have in our soul, we have the right response. Isn't that great? A one-size-fits-all governor. And that's called the Holy Spirit. And that only you're only qualified for the Holy Spirit, we're leaving right here, when you have actually had the nature of God birthed in you. No religious performance will do it. You can fake. You can fool some of the people some of the time, Abraham Lincoln, but you can't fool all the people. All the, in other words, there's an expiration on that life. Let's go to church. Thank you. 